0: Thank you, Mr. Crabtree. You're going to have some questions here, so um, uh, I'd like to recognize uh, Mr. Westerman for five minutes of questioning.
1: Thank you, Chairman Tiffany, and thank you to the witnesses again. And Mr. Crabtree, I just want to follow up with a hearty amen on what you just said from one forester to the other. Uh, there is a proper time and place for fire, but it's not when you're overgrown, overstocked, dried out, and bug-infested. And uh, I think that the data shows we're in that situation, especially in California and in a lot of the dry forest. And unfortunately, the thing we need to do right now, or the Forest Service needs to be doing, is putting these fires out as soon as they start. Uh, We've seen uh, a lot of data where this is not only destroying Forest Service property, it's also uh, burning uh, private property as well on backfires that they set. But Ms. Duncan, good to see you again. And kind of in light of what I was just saying about Mr. Crabtree's testimony, you know, we, uh, I think we all want to see better pay for our wildland firefighters, but we also want to see our forest managed better. Uh, We want to keep these firefighters safe and the best way to keep them safe is keeping them from having to fight so many fires. So can you please talk about why it's important for us to comprehensively address the challenges that wildland firefighters face, including better pay, but also better management on the ground?
2: Uh, Thank you, uh, Chairman Westerman. Yes, um, you know, a lot of the things we're talking about today, a lot of people have left out the wildland firefighters on the ground who are doing the difficult work. Um, And I wanna thank, Congressman DeGoose for once again reintroducing TIMS Act um, that has a comprehensive package to take care of our federal wildland firefighters who show up every day. Um, and so federal pay has lagged you know, far behind much of the municipalities and state agencies in the west, uh, some in the east as well, and certainly even private like PG&E and some insurance companies are luring away federal wildland firefighters for better pay and benefits. And so in order for us to, you know, retain and recruit federal wildland firefighters, we really need to look at comprehensive reforms and pay housing benefits, both mental health benefits and physical health benefits um, that we're talking about here today. So thank you for that question.
1: Um, In your opinion, has the Forest Service been transparent about its hiring practices with wildland firefighters?
2: Yeah, yes. um, We struggle sometimes with them providing their numbers of actually who's been onboarded because they tend to look at how many offers are made. Um, But because the system takes so long to onboard people, a lot of them give up and take positions other other places because it just takes too long and they need a job. And so anything we can do to streamline and expedite federal hiring will greatly affect um, recruiting uh, new firefighters into the workforce.
1: Uh, and it's uh, it's embarrassing that I'd even have to uh, talk about this in this committee, but you may be aware that the committee passed legislation last week that would allow the use of aerial fire retardant. It's hard to imagine that we live in a world where people want to outlaw aerial fire retardant. As a former firefighter, can you please talk about the importance of aerial fire retardant as a tool in protecting the health and safety of wildland firefighters, and you can be brief on that one.
2: And I'm currently, I I am an emergency hire, I still go out and fight fires. Um, It's a valuable tool in the toolbox. I know there are concerns with um, some of the issues in the retardant that can affect um, aquatic animals but firefighters take those into account and we still need every tool in the toolbox and it does help keep firefighters and communities safer.
1: And Mr. Crabtree is a former forest service official. Um, How far behind is the forest service in treating uh, our forest at the pace and scale necessary?
3: Uh, um, They're uh, way behind. It's going to take millions and millions of dollars, which are now coming into the agency. Um, I don't know in a number of years how far behind, but it's got a long way. It took 100 years to get where we're at, and I'm not going to say it's going to take 100 years to get out of it, but uh, it's going to take a while.
1: Yeah, and it really took probably the past 30 years to get in the, the more devastating position that we're in, but I agree with you it's going to take... Uh, take time to undo the damage that's been done but it's it's possible to do it if we can just let um, the forestry professionals professionals do their job. I yield back.
0: Thank you for your questions. Uh, I'd like to recognize the ranking number now for his questions.
4: Thank you Mr. Chairman and I'll be brief I know um, we uh, votes are called so uh, I will uh, skip the questions that I planned just to simply say first uh, thank you to Mr. Godis for being here for your support of the Forest Service Flexible Housing Partnerships Act of 2023, uh, and of course, for the work that you do at the Colorado Association of uh, Ski Towns, and As a representative who represents many of the communities, uh, of course, that are members of your organization and uh, home, in my view, the second district to the best ski resorts Mm -hmm. and ski resort communities in the country, uh, it's uh, a pleasure to be able to have you before this committee, and and this bill, I think, couldn't be more important for the reasons that you stated during the course of your testimony. the ability to provide affordable housing options for our first forest service workers, for our wildland firefighters, for first responders, uh, just very important and I think this bill is a common sense way to accomplish that and a way for us as a Congress on a bipartisan basis to support those efforts at the local level. So proud of the bill. And again, grateful for you being here. And then uh, to Ms. Duncan, thank you for being here. It's, it's wonderful to see you again. Certainly we're grateful for the work that you are doing on behalf of wildland firefighters. And I couldn't agree with you more uh, in response to Chairman Westerman's question. We all know there is a serious pay cliff approaching. The clock is ticking, we have limited time to address it, and I have been beating the drum here in Congress, uh, of course, for years, with respect to the the comprehensive reforms that I think we need to get done, uh, as described and uh, articulated in my bill and Tim's Act that we've, uh, you know, you know, spoken about, and of course, you all have advocated for. But in addition to that bill, we've got to get this pay cliff resolved, and I just hope that we can work on a bipartisan basis, Mr. Chairman. Uh, both within this subcommittee, within the larger full committee, and of course with our partners in the government oversight and reform committee to get this done. Uh, Because a lot of wildland firefighters across the country who bravely sacrifice so much uh, on our behalf are counting on us to get it done and to get it right. So uh, no questions, but again, just wanna thank you, Ms. Duncan, uh, Mr. Godis, and all of the witnesses for their
0: testimony. I yield back. I'd like to recognize Mr. McClintock for five minutes.
5: Thank you, Mr. Chairman. Uh, Mr. Crabtree, you're, you're familiar with the Tamarack Fire in the Humboldt-Toyobe National Forest. Um, how difficult would it have been to put that fire out during the 10 days that it smoldered on a quarter acre?
3: I couldn't quite uh, hear that. Oh, I'm sorry. Speaker.
5: How much, uh, what would, how difficult would it have been to put out the Tamarack Fire During the 10 days that it smoldered on a quarter
3: acre. Yeah, so I wasn't there and it's kind of hard for me to say, but I would say uh, it wouldn't have been that hard. Uh, How much do you think it would have cost? uh, uh, um, A few thousand dollars.
5: For a helicopter drop or two.
3: Bring Um, a couple of people in.
5: What's the cost of fighting a 17,000 acre fire, which is what the uh, Tamarack
3: became? Yeah, it's gonna be millions.
5: Um, so, obviously, what would be cheaper: uh, restoring the ten a.m. rule and applying resources to put out a lot of small fires immediately, or waiting until one of those fires explodes out of control?
3: Yeah, I think I think that's the the issue here. Is the risk is not high. Um, um, uh, the probability of an escape is not high, but the risk the risk is can have a very very. Uh, a significant price, particularly for people out and property owners outside the agency boundaries.
5: Right. Uh, what role do local fire departments have in combating incipient fires on federal lands?
3: Yeah, well, we try to have agreements up front and before the season starts to, you know, sort of uh, match their uh, capabilities and their, uh, I guess, interest in attacking fires. But, you know, in California, there is a, you know, a first- first responder kind of a local closest responder kind of rule will send the closest resources normally to the fire that that are available and uh, that should mean if it's a CAL FIRE engine closest to the fire and it's on the forest they'll send a CAL FIRE engine.
5: Have you heard of instances where when when local firefighters were warned off initial attacks on on fires on federal lands?
3: Um, I have heard stories like that. but I can say from from my back I, I can say no specifics that I know about that that happened. Um,
5: well we heard about that on the Tamarack fire we heard about that on the uh, it was the Doofers fire which preceded it in the same area by by 20 years mm-hmm. and I've had local firefighters uh, make bitter complaints about that uh, not not in the Eldorado National Forest <laughs> but in in, in others. Um, you tried for years to get the trestle project completed. What what obstacles did you face?
3: Well, uh, I really, uh, it's almost uh, difficult for me to go back and visit the trestle fire because a few weeks ago or a few days ago, I visited the, the aftermath of the Caldor fire and it's just sobering to see that much country, very productive timberland, some of the most productive timberlands in California. And there won't be a forest there for 400 years at least. Um, and it's as far as you can see. I mean, it's really unbelievable. Um,
5: and the Trestle Project would have prevented that,
3: would it not? Well, it so would c- have.
5: Certainly, for, it was definitely.
3: Time. Yeah, so what it would have do, done is given firefighters a more likely chance to be successful, that's how and, I like and, to put and it. And
5: what obstacles did you face in trying to well, get that? One to of to the facilitate. obstacles
3: of the Trestle Project that took years to get through was, it was one of the um, hotspots or highest densities area or California spotted owls. And so, you know, if you're an agency decision-maker, you don't want to start uh, making decisions that lead a species towards being endangered. And so you want to so leave how the how's habitat. That, how's
5: that spotted owl habitat today?
3: You know, that's the thing, it's gone and,
2: um, uh, you know,
5: Along with the town. I mean, I was there in downtown, the downtown yeah. section, you can't. There, there's no point of reference. Everything is leveled to the ground. E- even folks that have lived there their entire lives tell me they don't know their way around no. because they can't find a single point of reference no. to orient.
3: I agree. It's, let, it's, let me
5: just very quickly put one final question to you that I, I did to Mr. Hightacker. Why is it that private landowners make money keeping their forests in healthy condition, and today the Forest Service ends up losing money and our forests are in terrible condition?
3: oh gosh uh, that would that that's a difficult question uh, well let's say the uh, forest service can't har- harvest any tree over 30 inches in diameter as an example uh, with without a big a uh, lot of re- rationale behind it and uh, that's just one thing that comes to mind uh, we do so, so we they do don't have, have the
5: they, they don't have the freedom that private landowners have to no. to pr- properly manage their lands because of the laws that we pass. Is that essentially it in a nutshell? It
3: it is, but, you know, I like to say also the Forest Service has a little bit different mission than the private landowners. They can harvest and make money and then turn that land into something else, which is not uncommon. We have a long-term, you know, our mission is future generations, the needs of current and future generations. And so, you know, uh, we're just going to be a little different. Uh, Maybe we should be a little closer together.
5: Yeah, well, I mean, we used to make a lot of money on federal timber auctions uh, and keep the uh, forest healthy and resilient for generations to come. And as you point out, nature doesn't mind waiting centuries for a forest to regrow. We mere mortals don't have that luxury. Anyway, thank you very much, Mr. Chairman. I yield back.
0: Gentleman yields. Uh, I just have a couple questions and we got a break. I got to get, all of us got to get down and cast a vote. uh, Mr. Goddard, you referenced the smoke that's coming. I live in the upper Midwest, and, boy, we are seeing it um, all over uh, Wisconsin, Minnesota, and Upper Peninsula of Michigan. Um, the Forest Service in the previous testimony, I got the impression they expressed reservations about caste. Uh, what's going on there?
6: Well, quite frankly, I would say what's going on is they don't want to take the time to evaluate the system um, Certainly, we've experienced overseas uh, great success. Uh, the question about safety was answered in probably the most detailed form by the Israeli Air Force. Uh, I recall that back in 2018, tragically, we had a firefighter uh, killed from uh, an airdrop, a low airdrop, and it caused a revamp of all of the safety parameters uh, for VLAT airdrops or large tanker airdrops. And what we found is the CAFs uh, systems have a um, less than one half of 1% of the drop zone is considered risk whereas 100% of the drop zone is considered risk with the tankers and that's because the payload is moving laterally by 80 to 100 miles an hour. So the CAF system is uh, falling like rainfall and you do have the containers that come down but they're well within the drop zone area. so. Uh, the great question is, so why don't you want to look at it? If other countries around the world are using it, it's produced in California, why did not you just want to take a look?
0: Uh, so some of us think that um, there's this movement to not suppress fire. Might that be part of it?
6: <laughs> yes, sir. I, uh, that's a great question. When, when I was interviewed down in South America, uh, for Defensa which is a large defense magazine that covered our system going to Peru and Uruguay and now into Chile. They asked that question and said, you make it in California, why aren't you using it? And uh, the commander that was with me said, oh, I have that answer. Is because we want to put fires out and we want to put them out quickly. And that was one of the aspects of our system is a rapid response 24 hours a day uh, converting either so-
0: So you're selling these around the world, but not in California? Correct. And not in the United States?
6: Correct. Yeah,
0: Okay. Um, I just want to ask uh, one final question. Uh, Mr. uh, uh, Crabtree, um, you received the ultimate compliment when uh, uh, Mr. McClintock said you're the best damn forester. I used to be a damn man. I used to think of myself as the best damn man uh, managing the Willow Reservoir in northern Wisconsin. So I've got a little bit in in common with you. I can only take about a minute here. What's changed since Mm. we see the the charts that show, I always uh, view 1988 as a watershed year for the United States Forest Service and federal land management. What happened? What changed?
3: Okay, I think the culture changed in the agency. Uh, The climate's changed. And and the public's uh, tolerance for uh, forest management, has changed, and now maybe that's gonna shift, but that's my answer to your question.
0: So in other words, as a result of saying we're going to make all these changes, uh, now the American public has, as so often happens, the pendulum swings, and as a result, we've seen these devastating fires. You said 400 years before we're gonna see forest back there. Yeah. Is that just the sterilization Uh, of the ground?
3: uh, No, it's 400 years before you see a forest. You you will find trees there in a hundred years. Forests are complicated, and they have large trees and small trees, and they have a lo- there, there's a lot of things going in in a forest. So when I think of a forest, it's not just a row of um, you know a pine that's eighty
0: years old. Sure, I mean
3: that's that was that was what I was thinking there.
0: Yeah. Um, We have to wrap this up. I'd like to thank all the witnesses here. Thank you so much for taking the time to come here. We really appreciate it. Uh, Members of the committee may have some additional questions for you and uh, we will ask that you respond to those in writing. Under committee rule three, members of the committee must submit questions to the committee clerk by 5 p.m. on Friday, May 26th. The hearing record will be held open for 10 business days for these responses. If there is no further business, Without objection, the subcommittee on federal land stands (laughs) adjourned.